art historically and if you look in say a, a museum like the national gallery in london that's really art pre-1900 you're not going to see very many female artists and lots been made about um the difficulties of being a female artist as well as the teaching of art history focusing on males but I, I i really do think that the opportunity for female artists at the moment has never been greater and i don't think that's because of a particular shift in emphasis um, to female artists. I think there are great female artists working and their work's not great because they're female. And I think the appreciation is not significant because they're just female artists. I think they really hold up. And she is one of a, a, of a great crop of artists who happen to be female. Welcome to the Artelligence Podcast. Live arts look behind the scenes at how the global art market really works. I'm your host, Marion Maniker. This podcast is brought to you by Live Art, the global art marketplace that puts you in control. Download the Live Art app to get all of the most relevant art market information, as well as access to exclusive private sales. Or visit us at liveart.io. Cecily Brown has been a prominent painter for more than a quarter century, but starting in the last five years, her importance in the art market has grown substantially. With the opening of Death and the Maid at New York's Metropolitan Museum, it seemed like a good time to discuss her market. The Met Show is one of only a handful of museum shows that Brown has participated in, including Boston's MFA in 2006 and the Louisiana Museum in 2018. To get a better sense of how collectors view and value her work, I spoke to Hugo Nathan, one of the principals of art advisory Beaumont Nathan. As an art dealer and collector himself, Hugo has worked on a broad range of art, from the Renaissance to contemporary. His firm have advised a number of clients on the market for Cecily Brown's work. We spoke early on the morning that the Met Show opened. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Hugo, thank you for taking the time to speak to me. Uh, my pleasure. Good to see you. And you. And and the show, Death and the Maid, is um, opening today, so it's a good time for us to talk about Cecily Brown's market. You have uh, a number of clients uh, where you placed work, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to speak to you to get a better sense of the appeal uh, of her work, especially your career is as much in the old master's uh, field as it is uh, in any other field. And so that seems to be perfectly apt given her interest in a wide range of art history. Uh, and so I was hoping we could talk a little bit about your experience uh, with your clients and then, you know, uh, what motivates how your clients collect her work before we get onto the market. Okay, happy to happy to have that discussion. So what was the first... Um, work of hers that that you placed with a client or what was the first impetus for you to get involved? Well, um, I've been a fan of Cecily's work for quite a long time. She obviously is a British artist who moved to, to New York um, in her 20s. I, I had the similar journey myself as an art dealer moving to New York um, at, at the end of my 20s. And um, and I know what it's like to be uh 
uh, a, a Brit in New York. But I think that part of the impetus for her moving, as far as I've sort of read and, and would make a lot of sense, is that uh, in the 90s, the, the the YBAs and 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 conceptual art were so uh, dominant in the UK that I think she felt that for a painter New York was a a better place to to be based and a better place to work, and one of the reasons that I'm a big fan of her work is that she is a painter, is a fantastic painter, and sits sort of in a in a clear lineage um, of of art history when it comes to painting and painting in oils. And she's uh, fixated on uh, an art historical uh, uh, tradition that the abstract expressionists uh, like de Kooning, who were very involved in you know the work of previous artists, as well as you know Philip Guston, who became Hugo. Thank you for taking the time to speak to me. You know, the the act of painting, but also his figurative obsessions. And there's this great tension in her work between figuration or representation and abstraction, which seems to be the core of her. You know, she likes to use the term conflict, but she seems you know very interested in working things out. That it's just an endless. Uh, reason to paint. Yeah, uh, I, I think that's absolutely right. I think that uh, as uh, as she moved to New York, she seems to have found herself and considered herself part of the New York school. And I think the fact that you've singled out de Kooning and Guston, as have plenty, plenty of other people previously, is um is pertinent because those are two abstract expressionists that, that return to figuration. And obviously, um, with Guston, it was more of a, 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 a of a move to to overt figuration. With de Kooning, that blurred line um, uh, between figuration and abstraction that came into his work um, when when he painted his series of women is something that really relates very closely to Cecily's work. And I think it is it is it's called a conflict and, and has been described as such. But I think it's what makes her work interesting and and this idea that she's making paintings that you can't grasp and appreciate in one glance. And I think that one of the appeals to me are, of her work is the, the longevity uh, of interest that her paintings hold. You can sit and look at them for a while and not decipher them or or return to them and see new things. And I think that layering and that complexity is something that we at, at Beaumont Nathan strive for in a lot of the art that we recommend to our clients. And and similarly, I think it's something that a lot of our clients come to us because that's what they're looking for. Well, in, in her case, did clients come to you looking to acquire uh, a Cecily Brown and use her to help find the right uh, era, size, style of, of work? Or is it that they were collecting in a certain vein and you said that, you know, Cecily Brown would help with this progression or would be the keystone in in what you've acquired so far and lead you to the next uh thing uh i think i i think it's a, a little bit more nuanced than that i think it, you know the dialogue usually between us as advisors and our clients goes two ways we certainly don't tell people what to like and what to collect and it's usually a conversation that that results in ideas and um an an artist that we look at whether those be old masters and and long dead artists 
or um or artists living today i think um you know in the case of uh, of cecily's work i think it's it's undeniable that you know the art market has shifted its focus it, certainly in the 21st century very much to contemporary art and the work of mid-career or even younger artists and um you know uh that that is is a a force that is irresistible and i think that a lot of our clients are increasingly taking an interest in increasingly newer and younger art and when it comes to what would we recommend and what do we find interesting an artist with pedigree and with a clear pedigree like cecily is uh is is much easier to sort of grasp and recommend and fit into a collection of uh, a, a, a collection that has old masters, has traditional works, and has figurative work. Well, no, that makes a great deal of sense. I mean, she is uh, a titanic figure at this point, just by the sheer breadth of the work that she's done and the engagement, the number of different artists that she uh, works, uh, you know, her work is inspired by the fact that she's uh, very much art about art. Right. She doesn't draw from uh, a figure or life. She only draws from other uh, images, which is a very sort of late 20th, early 21st century uh, way of doing things. But it's always with, uh, you know, uh, uh, paintings and art in, in, in mind. And, you know, it goes from Rubens to Degas to, you know, uh, a, a number of other artists that she's uh, fixated on. Monk, I mean, the sort of list uh, uh, goes on. So I can see you know, how that works both for your sort of clients, but I thought the other part of what you just said is, you know, if you're looking for a female abstract painter, that's a nice thing, but she's also, uh, you know, clearly a, a figure of such importance in art history and engagement that it's not a question of of doing it for her identity. It's because the art is a, a compelling sort of bridge between the two worlds. I I, th I think that's I think that's true. I think she has become a major figure um, now. I think um, obviously she was catapulted to success at a young age. She showed with. Um, with Larry Gagosian, arguably the foremost gallery um, in the world at the time, um, at a young age and achieved sort of instant celebrity and success. And, um, you know, the thing about new art is there's always newer art to replace it pretty soon and you can't stay new. And I think, you know, a mark of sort of, you know, someone like Picasso, what makes him such a great artist is his, he continually reinvented himself and managed to stay new and modern. And I think, you know, the way I look at the, the market that exists now and the the obsession with new and young art is um is who's going to last and who has longevity. And I think, you know, Cecily Brown's status is, uh, you know, is it cemented by having a Metropolitan Museum retrospective? You know, I think on the back of having had a major exhibition um. Uh, at the Louisiana Museum a few years ago, you know, having had a retrospective at the MFA, uh, you know, nearly nearly twenty years ago, you know, I think um, I think it's it's been constantly building, and I think her work has achieved a maturity um, that you know she has this singular style, a recognizable style, a style that's emulated now by a generation of younger artists, and I think all of these things go to really cement her 
position in 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 the history of 21st century art and um and and possibly beyond that but it's uh, i like i like artists to have a few years on them so that you can really assess what they've achieved and 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 how long they'll last and i think cecily has certainly done that well it certainly feels like the you know breakout of her market in the last few years may be a product of that kind of doppler effect you know of the long coming getting louder and louder and sort of to the point where everyone suddenly realizes uh, you know uh, everyone thinks she's a desirable artist and now it's just a matter of uh, finding uh, the works. Uh, I did want to ask you uh, one thing about the retrospective uh, issue. The, this show is sort of a retrospective, and I believe the Louisiana show was, con, you know, described as sort of a retrospective. Is that is that something that comes from her? Is that just you know the way it is is worked out with these um, shows? I mean, she's in her fifties, so uh, uh, important retrospectives are supposed to come around this time in a painter's uh, uh, life, but these seem to always have a little bit of a twist to to them. Uh- yeah, I think I think turning fifty is probably an important milestone for an artist and um, and for maturity. And I think retrospectives that um, certainly increasingly artists are having well before the age of fifty is arguably a little bit uh, too soon. And um, you know, and and they're less interesting because they show the sort of less diversity and development. Um, you know, obviously Picasso famously had his first retrospective at fifty. And um, and I think it's it's a good time to be doing it. And obviously, you know, her Louisiana retrospective came at that time. I think this retrospective at the the Met is called a retrospective, but obviously it's it's a themed retrospective on the subject of Memento Mori. But I think that's been chosen quite carefully as a theme that maybe unwittingly has run through her work from from the outset and therefore gives the show a little bit of a thematic edge rather than just an amassing of of works by her. And I think given the number of exhibitions that she has had and has had recently, I think it's probably important to not just try and amass as many works as one can possibly get and and put them under one roof. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing the show. Obviously, uh, I'm speaking to you from London. I won't get to see it for a month, but... Um, I think it will show a development and um and and how she's effectively used the same language but developed that language and um now sort of as with a lot of artists get, has got to the age where it's just uh you know second nature her her brushwork her her singularity and and the way she uses paint and lets her paintings develop. There's one other element that I want to just ask about before we move on, which is she also has had a number of very large works, um, not so much commission, but, you know, the, the Louisiana show culminated in there's a very large painting that is now at the Louisiana Museum. The Courtauld just reopened and there's a very large, I mean, uh, in, on a staircase, uh, a work of hers. These monumental works in prominent places, I'm assuming also have the same kind of effect on collectors and prominence and just the general, you know, people's familiarity with her as a important painter who's now part of the firmament. Uh, I think that's definitely, definitely true. Obviously, 
there's um, increasingly people within the art market can boast about an artist's work being in a museum collection without actually defining how it arrived there, whether it was a, a buy one, gift one system or the gift of a donor and whether the work is on display or sitting in a in a storage facility. I think in the case of the works that you mentioned, those are all prominent works um, that are on display and give a, a sense of permanence and permanent public display to Cecily's work that I think is acknowledged as people as a sort of, you know, a, a real milestone in her career, not so much on account of their scale, but because they are, you know, in theory, permanent installations. Um, and, you know, the, the work at the Louisiana, uh, I always connected with Gauguin's um, great painting in, in the MFA. Um, and, and, you know, obviously having had her retrospective at the MFA and then moving to the Louisiana and obviously, you know, great collection and connection with Gauguin being in Denmark. I think these these interactions between Cecily and artists from the past and, and, and the great artists from art history does cement her reputation. And I think it's not just that she references earlier art and, and, and the works from art history, it's that she measures herself against them. And I always feel that one should be measuring new art against the past and seeing how it stacks up. Well, and she she's actively engaged in trying to, you know, as she says, figure it out. I mean, she draws from other paintings to figure out how they work and to figure out how she can make uh, things uh, work. And, you know, she's got a great interview where she talks about having, uh, you know, there's a Bruegel painting that's one of her uh, favorites. And uh, she worked on a, a jigsaw puzzle of the painting and, and that kind of in intense focus and you know, memorization of shapes and patterns was as valuable as the drawing uh, uh, of the work itself. Um, can you give us a sense, to, does the her body of work break down in any kind of obvious ways? I mean, is there, you know, a preference among collectors for a certain type of work? I mean, obviously size is an issue. She tends to uh, have big and small paintings, but, you know, big paintings have their limitations uh, uh, for many collectors. I think the 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 way I see her body of work is that it it went through through a period of becoming increasingly abstract, almost to to, to a point where uh, the, the figure was completely obscured. And and I particularly like those, particularly in, in the smaller scale canvases where there's a an evenness to the composition and not as and not a central motif. And um and and yet the brush strokes and the colors give you the, the the reference to figuration, but it's it's definitely not actually there. Um and I think that it's you know the the figuration has returned to some extent. I think the eroticism and the and the overt sexuality of some of her earlier works uh dissipated as obviously she became more abstracted. And the work seemed to have come back in a more thoughtful, slightly more mature manner without perhaps the the obvious sexuality of the early works. And I think it's just a matter of taste as to which works people gravitate towards. I, I like them all. And I, I have to say that, you know, her recent body of work that she made for the exhibition at Blenheim Palace uh, was much more figurative, sort of really marked a return to the more overt figuration and clearly referencing old master paintings very closely um, and paintings that I personally know and artists that, uh, that I know and like. 
and um and I really enjoyed that but I also enjoyed in that show uh the 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 graphic work and her drawings and her sketchbooks and and that you know that underlying clarity of line and um and depiction in her drawings that informs the paintings however abstract they are to me is a mark of of, of the artist she isn't someone who's just um gone to the canvas and created an, an abstraction she's built up these layers of imagery she sourced imagery from 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 various places art history and um and uh, current affairs but she's also built her paintings on on a traditional foundation of drawings uh so the fact that in recent years a number of uh later works have uh begun to achieve higher prices is probably more just a matter of time i guess is what we're saying right that that you know uh, we, we weren't going to sell a lot of paintings from the 2000s in 2000 in that period because they're just the paintings were with collectors and all. But we're now seeing paintings from the 2010s uh, achieve, you know, uh, significant pr prices. And uh, I wasn't sure if that was because there was a preference for later work or if there's just a, a simply a matter of that work coming to market. I think I think if one, you know, if I put my my more market and commercial oriented hat on and 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 observe a few things i think there was a time when one felt that the the highest prices achieved for cecily's work were for the more figurative works from a, an earlier point in her career i think that the the explicit sexual imagery in some works is um off-putting for certain groups of collectors and and certain sensibilities um, and as such, that may have propelled um, uh, uh, an, an interest in the market in the more abstracted works that are that are easier to live with and perhaps um, you know lack the the same the same um, shock and um, shock, sort of uh, sexual sensibility as the earlier works. And like I said, I think there's something for something for everybody. I also think that one has to remember that the art market itself has become more comfortable with uh, championing in the secondary market at auction increasingly young works. Um, you know, uh, it's it's probably a slightly facile uh, comparison, but it would be like uh, drinking uh, drinking a bottle of Lafitte that's only a couple of a, a, a couple of years old rather than putting in the cellar for 20 years. And I think people have just have just got used to these things returning to market. When I started my career, anything that came to market within 10 years of last being on the market was considered problematic. And now you get works on the market that were only made two years ago. Well, that's I, I sent you uh, in advance of this conversation and I had gone through uh, the live art records for her painting sales. And, you know, two things popped up fairly uh, quickly. One, that there was uh, a period from, you know, a record was set in 2007, uh, somewhere in the, you know, under two million, but, you know, a, a, a very strong price. And everything sort of traded from then till 2013 or so, so below that price. And that's common. Usually, you know, there's a, a, a roof set and people feel comfortable buying uh, at prices below that. There was a pause 
coincident, I don't know if it's necessarily caused by her taking more control of her own market and moving to um, Paula Cooper and Thomas Dane as her uh, dealers. And then things take off again in 2017 and 18, uh, and the prices expand upward, and there's just a greater variety of prices, you know, as with the the greater variety is because there's greater variety of uh, of works. But what was striking is when you go through and look at some of the repeat sales, there are many paintings that were sold two or three, sometimes even four times in the last 20 years. And just as you said, having works get uh, bought in at auction was no limitation on their selling quite well uh, a few years later. And I suspect that's a, a, a sign more of many more people coming into this market and discovering and now having access to the work and things being able to sort of sell and resell uh, at higher prices over the last few years as the, the market becomes more active. But certainly, none of those works are burned. They, they, Her works now show a, a remarkable resilience in, in that sense that they can be offered within a few years of each other and have very different uh, results. Um, I, I think I think for, for, for this discussion, you have to look at supply and demand. And, um, you know, when when she was working with Larry Gagosian, uh, uh, a, a dealer with galleries around the world um, and, uh, you know, um, and who participates in uh, numerous art fairs during the course of the year. Um, obviously, you know, her her output was was incredibly uh, voluminous, as it were. And presumably, you know, she was pressured to create a huge amount of supply to meet demand. And um, that probably limited the secondary market. And um, for collector, you know, one could argue that's a good thing. You want to buy one of her works, you have an opportunity to do so within the space of a, of a short period of time. And I think for the artist, it may be, you know, volume invariably impacts um, quality and, and care. And I think the pressure probably was one of the things that that made her reconsider her her position with the gallery. I think now you're in a situation where she's producing a lot less or certainly putting a lot less on the market. And so the pent up demand is greater and that's obviously going to impact the demand at auction and the demand for newer works for the people who missed out on them on the primary market. So I think the contemporary market is always a, a, a battle between supply and demand. And, you know, Cecily has said in an interview that she doesn't think the works of a, a living artist should should be more than a million dollars. But at the same time, there are people who think that a living artist shouldn't overproduce. And if you don't meet demand, you're, you know, and people have money and want your work, then unfortunately, you can't control what they're what they're willing to pay. So I think I think these things are these things aren't peculiar to Cecily and I think um uh but but I I think that you know the, these are significant issues that affect the broader market no if anything I mean uh, well two things one I'm not sure a million dollars is what it used to be so you know you can make that as a reference po point but uh you know today's three or five million dollars maybe you know someone's a million dollars from 20 years ago uh but more to the point there's clearly been 
a moment of the last few years where she has emerged as an artist uh, in high demand herself, but I think that's always been somewhat the, the case. The demand may have increased, but also there's been such an intense focus on uh, 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 you know expanding the uh, collecting and having uh, representation from an artist, uh, especially women or artists, that the two are a bit of a confluence. I mean, I think one of the interesting things is to watch Flora Yuknovich's market grow up somewhat in the um, slipstream. I, they're very different artists, but they both work from uh, uh, other painters' uh, work. And, you know, Yuknovich's paintings are two, three million dollars on the um, uh, auction market. Uh, so a, a very significant price for a, a, a young uh, artist. So that's a feature of this current market, whether it's, um, you know, Yuknovich Brown or a number of other uh, uh, painters. But I think that you, you know what you said uh, earlier is that the the demand is increasing. She's got more control over the supply, and she seems to be much more active in managing her market than uh, certainly she was before. But even you know than many artists uh, are, and I think that also makes her fairly uh, you know not unique but f fairly uh, distinctive among artists that she seems to really have you know, taken a, a, a direct uh, role in placing her work uh, and I'm assuming, you know, having some relationship with her collector. Uh, yes, I think um, going to Flora Yuknovich, I think, you know, they're different artists um, to some extent, but there's obviously a a, a clear, uh, you know, link and, and, and influence there. And I think when you see the work of a younger artist, um, and far less established, making two, three million dollars at auction, you then naturally can make, you know, do the arithmetic and think, well, Cecily should be double that. Um, surely, you know, she's been around and at the top of her game for for a, a, a vastly, you know, longer amount of time, and um, uh, and has been in demand that much longer, and has had all these major museum sh shows and surveys. So, I think I think there's that comparison. I think um, I think your point about female artists is pertinent. I think uh, you know if you look at the artists that effectively came up at the same time as Cecily Brown, um, and uh, you know you, you know she's not unique as an artist exploring sexual imagery um, and the nude, and you know you look at John Curran. Well, you know as as a white male artist, um, you know his career is probably was um his career curve was probably steeper than hers initially um and um and has now gone the other way and you know there are other artists that obviously worked along the same side as her of the same vintage jenny savile springs to mind lisa yuskovich who are exploring the the the, the female nude uh, and these sort of things but there's also as i said a whole generation now of artists who are painting in this slightly uh abstracted figuration um, with a lot of nudity, sexually explicit imagery, and so on. And the demand is is hot. And it's only natural that when their prices go from readily accessible to quite excessive, that people look at what else can you buy for this sort of money. And I think people then look back and go, well, I, I didn't, you know, I might as well be buying work by Cecily if I'm going to be paying three million for Flora Yukovic. 
And it seems that now that larger paintings from the best collectors, you know, her top price is from a work that was once owned by Douglas Kramer, I believe, uh, are, you know, six uh, plus million dollars. We're seeing smaller paintings get up to sort of three, four million dollars. And that makes sense. Exactly what what you said. If I'm going to spend three million dollars on a painting, why not uh, uh, have one by a such a significant and uh, uh, compelling artist. To just, uh, I brought up Kramer because I w- did want to get a uh, sense from you. What role do collectors play in her market? I mean, are there prominent collectors that people look to that have helped uh, establish her either early on or in this recent, uh, you know, explosion or secondary market beyond? I mean, Kramer, I think, owned several of her wor- works. Kramer sold. Two of her works, uh, I think, in 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 the 2021 auction uh, of, of of his collection, and they um, were both in the roughly sort of six and a half million dollar mark. I think um, Spree and Bend Sinister, so both slightly earlier works, one late 90s, one early 2000s. Um, but and and I think the highest price for her work at auction was was prior to that was in 2018 for a painting called Suddenly Last Summer that sold for six nearly seven million dollars and had actually sold in 2010, so less than a decade previously for for just over one million dollars. So I think you can see the the trajectory of her pricing um, sort of moved in that period um, across that period. But I think that reflects not only Cecily's market but the art market and and like i said this shift in focus from the from the early 20th century and and earlier into into the the 21st century and and a huge amount of uh collecting funds have moved into and funneled into this area um you know i think moving slightly away from the market and 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 back to cecily as an artist you know, I read that obviously for all her historical references and interest in in artists from the past, that she really sees herself as a contemporary of any artist post Degas, and um, uh, and and I think that 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 willingness to compare herself like for like with anybody from uh, you know f- from the likes of de Kooning, Francis Bacon, etc., as well as all of her contemporaries. Um, is is possibly uh, an element of ambition that drives her and has kept her at the top of her game. But, um, you know, they're, they're obviously art historically, and if you look in, say, a, a museum like the National Gallery in London that's really art pre-1900, you're not going to see very many female artists, and lots been made about um, the difficulties of being a female artist as well as the teaching of art history focusing on males. But... I, I, I really do think that the opportunity for female artists at the moment has never been greater. And I don't think that's because of a particular shift in emphasis um, to female artists. I think there are great female artists working and their work's not great because they're female. And I think the appreciation is not significant because they're just female artists. I think they really hold up and she is one of a of a great crop of artists who happen to be female i that that is possibly the perfect place to end because certainly her ambition and her self-seriousness which not to suggest pompousness i mean what's always striking about watching interviews is her how genuine she is about the art history and what she's trying to work out her self-deprecation but also her just 
you know, implacable uh, uh, ambition. She's going to take these things on. And in that sense, she's no different from Picasso, who sort of having run out of other people to compete with, started looking at old master's works and saying, let me see what I can show you what I can do, do. And, and, you know, it's not my place to compare her to P Picasso, but we can take her as seriously uh, as any, uh, you know, major artist of the 20th century, because she takes herself uh, that seriously. And I think that's why she's such an exciting artist, both for the show and, and, and even on market terms. I mean, the market is what it is, but, you know, that people are uh, treating her as one of the most significant artists of her time. Uh, here, here. I couldn't yeah. uh, I, I couldn't agree more. I know uh you know you know one has to remember that for every artist um with even an iota of Cecily's success there are thousands of artists who are struggling to be shown and make a living from from making art but I imagine from all the artists that I know and I'm friendly with and speak to that really fame and uh, and fortune is is a secondary concern to being remembered and and making your way into the pantheon of art history. And I think Cecily's probably great strength is that she's always been very aware of that ambition. And she says it, it's as much the ability to paint. I mean, she just needs to paint and she needs things that are worth painting and, and make it worthwhile to have painted. Uh, and that certainly seems to be, you know, she's achieved that ambition. So <laughs> we should recognize that. Amen to that. Um, and I look forward to seeing to seeing the show. I'm sure it'll be absolutely fantastic. Great. Well, we'll compare my notes after we both see it. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Maureen. You're welcome. Thank you for joining us at the Artelligence Podcast, edited by Colin Ketchin, who also composed the original music. For more episodes, listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to download the LiveArt app or visit us at liveart.io. Please join us for the next episode of the Artelligence Podcast. We're looking forward to it. <laughs>